Thank you for coming to the podcast. Episode 50 of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by the best mouth guard ever invented. Head on over to SISUGuard.com. Find out about Sisu mouth guards. You can talk, you can breathe, you can even drink with the mouth guard up in your mouth. It's a modern feat of science. More protection, less mouth guard. SISUGuard.com has you covered for your sport or activity. We are also brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Fight gear made entirely out of hemp. It's durable, it's antimicrobial, and it's good for Mother Earth. Head on over to DSGear.com, enter in promo code TOPTURTLE for a nice little discount. Sisu Mouthguards and Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com, our mothership, part of the Sports Daily Network. Gumby, I gotta say, one of the things I love about our podcast is we don't waste any time. We get right into what brought us to the dance, and that's breaking down MMA news, fights, previewing upcoming fights, and interviewing MMA stars. I mean, that's really what we're about. That's our value prop, right? That's our value, and I am pumped up to talk about this UFC event that happened this weekend, so let's get into that. All right, fair enough. So UFC 206 was a much maligned card. I hate that word. Uh, Due to all the injuries that happened, the fact that they couldn't negotiate a deal with GSP in time, and it ended up being headlined by an interim interim title shot for only (laughs) one person because Anthony Pettis missed weight. Uh, and you know what? It was one of the best cards I've ever seen. Let's start with the main event. You had Max Holloway uh, taking care of business against Anthony Pettit, Pettis to become the new interim featherweight champion. Uh, took care of him in the third round of the TKO. What did you make of the performance? I was just absolutely shocked. I'm not shocked necessarily that Max Holloway won, but I am shocked at how easily he won, right? Like, it doesn't seem like that's a fight that he wins so dominantly, yet he looked really dominant. The kid's movement is out of control. Yeah, and, and and you know what? I keep writing him off, and I picked against him, God, I don't know how many times in a row. But, you know, I think that if he fought Aldo right now, I think I'd pick him. Well, I think it's kind of tough to put your finger on what makes Max Holloway great, because even when you look at some of his methods of victory, you know, there were some performances where it was like, yeah, he looked good, but he couldn't put certain people away. He's not necessarily a finishing artiste, as we've seen in the past. But, I mean, this kid's timing and just movement and being in the right place at the right time to either you know, uh, shimmy off a shot or return fire, it's really quite incredible. I think it's amazing. And and one of the other things I will say, and I said this about Ben Rothwell years ago, is I think also his appearance is one of the reasons people keep underwriting him. You know, Ben Rothwell looks like this, like, big kind of doofusy looking guy with, like, a big beard. Max Holloway looks like some scrawny little kid you see on the streets, right? He doesn't look big and tough. Even when he gets in the cage with somebody, he looks far less ripped than they are, far less athletic than they are, and then he beats the shit out of them. I think you're just hating on his wispy mustache. He's got a great mustache. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so he's going to get Jose Aldo, the rumor being at UFC 208 in Brooklyn, and you're giving Holloway the early nod on that. I'm leaning that way. I mean, Jose looked great against Frankie Edgar, though, in July. I mean, he looked good against Frankie Edgar in July. He looked great against Frankie (laughs) Edgar in July. I'm not going to go as far as saying great, but I will say— Wait, hold on. Wait a second. Gumby, you're not going to say Jose Aldo looked great? I mean, he looked very good. I'll give him very good. I I mean, don't get me wrong. He kicked him. he, He set stuff up. 
But he didn't finish him. You know, like Jose Aldo it's, is. No one's ever finished Frankie but, Edgar. But Jose Aldo is also the guy we're, we're supposed to have known for all those years with lightning hands who finishes everybody who hasn't been finished, right? He, like, finished the Korean Zombie who hadn't been finished in a while. He finished freaking, you know, he finished everybody coming up for a while. He went to, like, almost no decisions. And he looked good. It was a three round fight. That wasn't a five round fight. It was for an interim title fight. He beat the oh, shit. Yeah. yeah, he beat my, the my crap bad. Bad. out of him for five rounds. Five yep. rounds. I don't know. I, I thought he looked great. I'll say he looked great. Gumby saying I'm going good. with very good. <laughs> uh, all right. So we know what those what Holloway's doing. What about Anthony Pettis? He already said he's not going to cut down to 45 again. What do you do with an Anthony Pettis at yeah, this point? Yeah, that, that's a tough one. Uh, I mean, I think there are some good matchups for him at. 55, I really think they got to set him up with somebody who's not going to try to wrestle him up there uh, for his first bite back to 55. Uh, I've heard Ross Pearson's name thrown around by a couple of different places. I wouldn't mind seeing that fight. Pearson would have to box with him, not going to out-wrestle him, not going to out-grapple him. Um, and I think it's somebody that Pettis could take. Yeah, I'd like to see Pettis get back to his winning ways. Obviously a big fan, but it kind of feels like maybe he had his time and his time is over. Yeah, and the, it feels it, like the wheels are falling off. Yeah, the, the wheels are falling off. All right, let's go to the co-main event. You had Donald Cerrone with just a beautiful, basically walk-off head kick KO against Matt Brown in the third round. And Cerrone got stunned a couple of times in this. Matt Brown looked better in this fight than he has in, let's say, his last two or three because um, we're going back off an Ellenberger loss and then uh, obviously a loss to Maya. But uh, what did you make of the performance from both men? I mean, I just think Cerrone at 170 is a different creature. He looks almost untouchable. Don't get me wrong. He, you're right. He did get tagged a couple of times here. But it, it, it looks like he is by and far better than he was at 55, which he was a title challenger at 55. So to see him at 70 so dominant – I know he just went on a, this rant where he called out any welterweight who would be signing on the dot. But come on, he's got to be fighting for the title or at least Damian Maya next, right? Uh, yeah, I would say it's probably Damian Maya, and we'll have to see if they can put together Woodley versus Wonderboy. But it, it, Cerrone's right up there. You know, he's he's in the mix. I, I, I think he's got to be top four. Yes, yeah. And, and for Matt Brown? Oh, God, uh, another tough one. I, I think sending him... Uh, down the line a little bit and letting him fight somebody who's a little bit more of an up-and-comer uh, at 170 pounds. Even somebody like Brian Barberena uh, would be a nice fight for him should he get through Colby Covington. No, that's an interesting one. I really hate to think of a world without Matt Brown. I said it last week on the podcast, or a UFC without Matt Brown. Uh, and we're going on, I think he's now one in... I think he's one in four in his last five. One, one in five in his in last, last six. six. Yeah, that's where I was going to yeah. lean. All right, then we have to talk about this fight because it was the fight of the ever. Uh, Hu Choi versus Cub Swanson. Cub Swanson got the unanimous decision victory. I was surprised on the uh, giving him all three rounds. I thought Duhu might yeah, have one, had the... One judge gave Choi a round. Round, yeah. And I, I thought at least... The first round. I mean, it was back and forth. The third round was clearly Cubs, but what did you make of the performance? Uh, I mean, everything I wanted in that fight and more. It's fight of the year for me by far, and that's in a year that had Carlos Condit versus Robbie Lawler in it. I mean, like, so... And McGregor Diaz. And McGregor Diaz. I mean, like, and those things to me pale in comparison. I I love Um, TJ Dillashaw, Dominic Cruz, too, to be honest with you. Yeah, I I mean, all of those are great fights, but in the end... This is the one for me. I think that this one is is the fight of the year. It's such a big win for Cub Swanson to to catapult him back back into title pictures 
uh, up here. Duhu Choi, and that's the other thing about this, minor setback for Duhu Choi, right? Because in the end, he's only like 24 years old. He's going to be right back in the swing of things soon. Well, I have to say, and you could tell that the UFC was certainly pushing Duhu Choi, basically coming out and saying he's our next superstar at featherweight. Dana White went on TV shows last week. Someone, I think it was Michael Landsberg on TSN, said, who's the next Conor McGregor? And Dana White pointed to Duhu Choi. Now, that being said, I have a couple of issues with that. Uh, and I love Doohu Choi. Don't get me wrong. You know I'm hyped on Doohu Choi. Here are two things I noticed. Obviously, the book is now out on Doohu Choi, and leave it to Greg Jackson, Mike Winklejohn to figure it out. Press him backwards. He is not a good counter striker. Not technically proficient going backwards. Not like yeah. a Jose Aldo. Not like an Anderson Silva. Yeah, I, I would say he's not as technical, but I will say his knockout power is still scary from there because remember that that's where he knocked out Juan Manuel Puig. Uh, Puig put some pressure on him, and he threw, like, a, a backpedaling KO punch. Okay, fair. Uh, but that being said, we saw Cub Swanson pushed him back and had great success. Well, and obviously Cub Swanson is 12 times the fighter Juan Manuel Puig is, at least. Now, so, the other thing was, grappling-wise, I thought he did a good job. And again, he was rocked, so I hate to, like, start, you know, judging people's jits ability when they're rocked. But, you know, he did an okay job getting back to, let's say, butterfly guard, um, I think full guard a couple of times. But, you know, it clearly he still has work to do when it comes to grappling. If you were to face someone, like, let's say, if a Jose Aldo went to the ground with him or a Frankie Edgar, who's going to have more of a pressure wrestling defense at 145, or pressure wrestling offense, I should say. So... He's young. He's a prospect. Obviously, he's still growing as a fighter. You mentioned he's young. But it's not like, to me, it, it's a small setback, but I also saw some pretty glaring holes there. Yeah. No, it's it, not like Conor McGregor's rise. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Well, Conor McGregor's rise had no dips. Yeah. That, that's the thing about him. And that's the thing that's so hard to wrap our heads around about Conor McGregor, right, is that the, it was just a meteoric rise that never stopped. Yeah, and the out-wrestling Max Holloway even in that second fight. You yep, know, absolutely. I, there were a lot of things. With a could, torn ACL. With a torn ACL. The other thing I want to say is I believe we are going to have to separate ourselves from Doohu Choi for two years because of mandatory Korean military service. So that's something else to keep in mind, too. I don't know when that'll come. Uh, maybe it'll come later on when he turns, you know, I, I don't know what the rules are. Do you? Yeah, I don't know the rules either, but we are going to get a headliner later from, uh, later in early in 2017 from Chan Sung Jung, who's coming back from being away. It's now over three years. And how, how old was he when he went into the Korean military? I want to say he was 24 and he's like 27 now. Okay. Uh, I know it took him like six months to like get everything worked out for when he was going and stuff like that. Then he left for two years, and it's taken him about six months of training to get back. Yeah, looking at it now. So he went when he was like 26, and now he's, he's 29 and he's back. So here's the question, Gumby. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Today, you have to go to the bank. You have to put your entire life savings on one of these two outcomes. That, that's not all that impressive of a number, by the way. Fair. Okay. <laughs> but you, All right. Gun to your head. Whatever analogy you want to use. Who becomes a featherweight champion first? Do who Choi? Or Yair Rodriguez? Duhu Choi. Why? Uh, Duhu Choi just because of the way he fights. So don't get me wrong. I saw holes in Duhu Choi's game. But to me, what differentiates a champion from a really fun guy to watch is the mindset of going in and being really, really, really efficient and really, really, really smart. Not taking tons and tons of risks 
that are absolutely have no payoff. If you look at Conor McGregor's only loss, it's when he took a bunch of risks that had no payoff. And, and to me, when you look at the top guys and the guys... Wait, wait are, hold on. i got to back you up on that. What do you mean by that? When so Conor McGregor puts... Oh, okay. Not, okay. not a big payoff for weird spinning kicks to the body. Not a big payoff for weird spinning back this at random moments against the guy who's a good boxer. And if you look at all of the best champions in time and all of the champions who lasted and all of the champions who got there very quickly, it's the people who are willing to take calculated risks and smart risks. Not the people who made, you know, crazy flipping moves. It makes those guys fun to watch. And to me, Duhu Choi has that champion-esque mindset where he's going to do exactly what he needs to do to win. And Yair Rodriguez is doing the thing that he's doing to be fun. Yeah, okay. So due to flippy stuff, you are picking uh, against Jair, and you're going with Duhu Choi, and I, I accept that answer. I think you uh, you might be onto something there. I do. I mean, again, it's early for both guys. I can't wait to see both their next performances. All right. So here's the last thing we're going to say on UFC 206 Gumby. Uh, speaking of prospects, you had two prospects at light heavyweight battling it out with each other: Misha Serkinov versus Nikita Krylov. Serkinov came out on top in the first round with a guillotine choke. Uh, we've been uh, hyped on this guy since episode two when we interviewed him on this podcast earlier this year. What'd you make of it? I just thought he was so dominant. Uh, he did exactly what I thought he was going to do too. You know, I, I mentioned that to me, the big difference between him and Nikita Krylov is the grappling game. He has such a good mind for the grappling game and to see him just lock things up like that. And he just looks so sharp to me. I'm ready to see him fight. I'm talking to top five to ten guy here. Me too. I would have loved if they didn't book Glover Teixeira already with yes. Jules Cannonier. I would love Glover Teixeira versus Misha Sergeant. Yes, he's and, ready. And, I don't, and I don't want to see him prospect versus prospect on Corey Anderson either. No, I'm, he, I keep hearing Corey Anderson's name, and to be honest with you, I, I don't like that fight at all because – to me, Corey Anderson has shown way more holes than Misha Serkinov. Misha Serkinov deserves a big step up. Corey Anderson got that step up. He got Shogun Hua, and he didn't pass the test with Shogun Hua, a deflated Shogun Hua. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think Misha Serkinov will rip Shogun Hua's arms and legs off. Exactly. I, it wouldn't even be close, yeah. right? The other name I've heard thrown around for Misha Serkinov right now is, uh, you know, Think about what European light heavyweight we have who hasn't had a booking in a while and is sitting there waiting for a booking. Gus. Alexander Gustafson. And if you know anything about what's going on right now, too, UFC Halifax, which is a Canadian show coming up, still doesn't have a headliner. Where does Misha Serkinov happen to train? In Canada. I, I would love to see them book Gus versus Serkinov for that that spot sure. would be an awesome way to build Serkinov up. We would finally get Gus booked. And you know, the layoff of Gus not having fought for a while might just play in Serkinov's favor. You know, I thought it was really interesting uh, in the post-fight interview. He said that he wanted to lure Krylov into a game of kicks where Krylov got comfortable kicking. Because at the beginning, when he was not really answering those kicks, he wasn't checking them. I was like, take him down, take him down. That was actually the game plan. He was just trying to lure Krylov into feeling like he was comfortable to kick. Yeah, you should never feel comfortable anywhere in the cage with Misha Serkinov. I, I love it. Very all-around, well-rounded uh, fighter climbing up the ranks at light heavyweight. All right, so that kind of wraps on what I wanted to talk about at 206 Gumby. Let's move to some all-important news items of the day, and we'll do this in lightning-fast fashion because we went a little long for my taste on our breakdown of 206, but fuck, 206 was such a good show. Amazing card. What do you want me to say? All right, Jose Aldo doesn't trust Bjorn Rebney, so he will not be joining the double M triple A. He's good with the MMAFA. 
I think this is bad news for the U or well for for fighter unions in general. It's good news for the UFC. This infighting is just going to be the doom of of all of them. I think you know if they had come out with one and there was like a united front around it, it had a lot of power. And I I think that coming out with these five names of guys for the MMAAA was the right idea. They just picked the worst possible figurehead for it. And there's so many fighters who don't trust him, including, I mean, think about the fighters who fought for him in Bellator and were screwed Luke by Luke Rockhold, Eddie Alvarez. Well, think about Eddie Alvarez, okay? So Eddie Alvarez is a perfect instance. He tried to get out of his Bellator contract. Bjorn told him, okay, go look for other contracts. That's cool. And then when he looked for another contract, Bjorn said, wait a second, we're still in our, our negotiating period. So, like, there are so many people who are going to be pissed off by him. And it's gonna make it's gonna be the end of this thing, I think. When I, and when it's all said and done, it's very tough to get five hundred fighters from all over the country on the same page, all uh, over the globe, all over the globe. <laughs> yeah, sorry, all over the globe. Uh, now another maybe call this maybe a potential conspiracy theory. Uh, obviously, uh, Duhu Choi versus Cub Swanson, one fight of the night. Uh, you probably could have given that to Cowboy versus Matt Brown. You maybe also could have given uh, Cowboy a performance bonus. He's uh, has a history of racking him up. Cowboy did not get a performance bonus. Do you think that had anything to do with him joining the MMAAA? I so I, th- I thought about it at first, and at first I was like, no, they picked the right things because first of all, Groovy Lando gets that. Knockout the spin the kick night. was amazing. It was amazing. By Lando it, Vendetta. It, is his name Van- – I just want to call him Vendetta. Venata? I think it's Venata. Venata. Uh, and, and, I mean, I've never seen a spinning kick that has landed more flush and more powerful. And he did it to a Taekwondo black belt. I mean, like, it, it's even more impressive when you talk about that. So his makes a lot of sense. Obviously, Swanson Choi is the, the other one. Hallways might have got it based on the 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 magnitude the magnitude of that fight. Yeah, so I mean, just the the concept that he might have gotten it because it's a bigger fight. But if we're talking about pure knockout power here, I, I mean, Cowboys was eighty times more impressive. Right? Walk off KO, baby. Yeah, walk off KO on a guy who's notoriously not easy to knock out, right? Yeah, so I don't know, man. I think the MMAAA has a, a long fight ahead of it, and I'm still waiting for the sixth member. Is yeah. it X-Pac? Is it Sean Waltman? <laughs> Is it six? Who's the sixth member? Uh, you know, I feel like we were promised uh, maybe sometime later this week we'll get something. Yeah, I think now that, uh, you know, Kennedy is now off of his fight. We might be able to hear a little bit more from him because he seems like kind of the the mouth of the whole thing. Man, we didn't even get a chance to talk about Tim Kennedy. And you know what? We're going to right here because he lost to Kelvin Gastelum. Gastelum, I, it's decided for me now, is I, he's really good. He's, he's not only really good, but I think, and I, I said this a little bit in the pre-fight show. I don't mean to toot my own horn. I think he's better at 185. Yeah. I, I mean, we've only seen him three times at 185. But in those three fights, he knocked out Tim Kennedy, he knocked out Nate Marquard, and he decisioned Uriah Hall. I mean, like, that's three very impressive fights at 185. First of all, he's got a head made out of concrete. No one's ever going to knock him out. He's got pretty good wrestling when he needs it, and his boxing is slick, my man. It keeps getting better and better and better, too. That's the scary thing I'm very impressed with Kelvin Gaslam. You know what, Tim Kennedy... 
Friend of the show. Love that guy. I'm a Tim Kennedy fanboy. It's been two years. The boxing, the striking didn't look great. His grappling still looked good. I think there might have been a bit of a cardio issue. Again, he hasn't fought in two years. I think given given the right kind of training camp, now that he's got a fight under his belt, he fights again in a couple of months or three months, four months. It'll be a better performance. You'll see a completely different Tim Kennedy, one that you'll want to see again. Now, on the other hand, though, the Kelvin Gastelum train is not slowing down, and we're having word, Gumby, that March 11th, he's going to get Vitor Belfort. In Brazil, I love this matchup. I, I like this matchup. I'm not going to say I love this matchup, and and here's why. I, I like this matchup because it's a great way to keep Calvin Gastelum going and keep his name in people's mouths. It is not a good matchup stylistically at all because I think Calvin Gastelum just stomps him. Yeah, that, I think I, it is a completely one-sided fight. That's why I love it because one, <laughs> I'm, I'm done with Vitor Belfort. He should have retired years ago, and uh, not years ago, but once the TRT stuff came out and the performances have really been bad in the past couple of uh, fights he's had. Uh, so let me just take walk back on my words. I love the matchup because it's a name for Gastelum to build his resume off of as he climbs up the ranks. And I don't think Belfort should have retired years ago, but I do think a fight against an up-and-coming prospect like this where Gastelum knocks his block off late in the first round can finally be the end of Vitor Belfort. I I agree with that, and I think it's really good for Calvin in that way. But would you be more excited watching Calvin Gastelum fight Robert Whitaker? Of course. Yeah, it's so that's the the part for me that's not too exciting because I'd rather see him fight Whitaker. Well, hold on though, because I guess being that he's semi new at middleweight, quote unquote, that's kind of why I like it because it's a middleweight name. And, for and him. all of a sudden he's he's on the middleweight. Yeah, map. let me let me get you know let's let's ease into the pool at Gastelum at middleweight. I guess all that's right, where I'm, all right, I'm okay from. with that. All right, so let's move on. Uh, you have Dana White went on uh, Sportsnet, which is the Canadian version of ESPN. Yep, and I couldn't get over this, Gumby. He said he wants to assemble a dream team of commentators, and this on the heels of Dave Meltzer saying that new UFC ownership is totally fine with getting rid of Rogan and Goldberg. They don't like their hype style of fights. That's a nugget from Dave Meltzer, very dependable. But what Dana White said was, Joe Rogan is the best in the business, the best ever. I put him up against any of the best uh, boxing commentators. What he said, though, was, He's looking for a guy to pair with Rogan that he's had his eye on for years to make a, quote, dream team. I cannot believe that Dana White said this with Joe, uh, with Mike Goldberg still under contract, (laughs) completely throwing him under the bus. Well, first of all, let's, let's just put this out here right now. This is not a secret to anybody. Mike Goldberg is the weak spot. He's the weak link, right? I, I mean, like. If you've never done it, I highly encourage people out there listening to this show to YouTube Mike Goldberg's Greatest Hits Part 1 and 2. They're two of the funniest videos I've ever seen. It's just a compilation of dumb things Mike Goldberg has said. It's no secret that the UFC has always wanted somebody better for Joe Rogan. There's just not a lot of guys out there who have a high level of uh, fight knowledge and broadcast. It can be PBP. And can be pay-per-view. Absolutely. Play-by-play. Yeah. It, oh, it can do play by play for pay per view. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I, I have a, a couple of theories on who those two names might be. Um, the first one that that instantly jumped into my mind is I thought Max Kellerman. Uh, Max Kellerman's been working for ESPN for a while. He's done some boxing commentating. Uh, he just seems like the right kind of guy. And he's also super likable and super charismatic. Um, and then if you're thinking higher profile name, 
and it wouldn't surprise me to see Dana White go outside of the box. I'd, I'd expect Jim Rome to be in his, his mouth for that one, too. Just because Jim Rome is kind of bounced around between a couple of different networks uh, might be the type of person who's you know not super um, aligned with any one brand. Ah, okay, yeah. I'm thinking completely different from you. I'm thinking, for one, I think Max Kellerman is anti-MMA, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, he's said some things in the past that seem anti- But that's because he was super pro-boxing. I think he is coming around to it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with what uh, you're saying there. Yeah. And then with Jim Rome, I don't think Jim Rome has any PVP experience, play by play experience, more of a commentator. But what I'm thinking, because Dana White said, I, I've had my eye on him for years. I want to assemble an MMA dream team of commentators. I'm thinking it's Moro Ranallo from pride. I mean, that it's possible. I mean, again, years can mean anything, right? Years can mean he saw him two years ago or something like that. But for me, I don't know. I, I think if the UFC changes up their, their play-by-play guy or changes up their, their in-house team at all, I expect it to be like a big-name splash, somebody you're not expecting them well, to Well, I will out. tell you some dark corners of the internet were because of the William Morris uh, connection and the whole Hollywood connection that they're going for that A.C. Slater's name was thrown into the mix. And uh-huh. if you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Mario Lopez. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that that's... I don't think that's the direction the UFC wants to go uh, for for a number of reasons that I won't get into. Yeah, um, well, that's but, a, that seems like a silly. Picture. Well, that's why I don't think it's Rome. I don't think it's him. I don't. I wouldn't think it's like even a Stephen A. Smith, which was another rumor on the dark corner of the internet. It's going to be, I think, a classical from the way Dana White was describing it, play by play guy. Well, I will say that I think that that might be what Dana wants, but I don't think that that's what the company wants. I think the company wants a big name, a recognizable name, not just in the MMA circles, but in announcing circles and sports circles that's why somebody like kellerman makes a lot of sense to me yeah we'll have to see we'll keep our eyes on it i'll tell you this much though i mean you look at at the fact that goldberg has kept his job for as long as he has is quite astounding (laughs) Uh, you play by play it's not the place you put a sexy name that's what you do with color Mm -hmm. uh you know but and even that can have horrible uh results just look at dennis miller on monday night football all right so (laughs) we'll move on uh paige van zandt said she would fight ronda rousey at 125 pounds nothing to lose calling out the goat women's fighter uh seems like marketing 101 to me because guess what it's never gonna happen so why not make call it out it's never gonna happen in addition to it never happening i mean like what incentive would rousey have to fight Paige Van Zandt. I, well, I think she hates her. If you well, I know mean, about she that hates story, her, but, but, but that's that's not incentive to fight the girl, right? Just trash talk her and say she's not valuable enough for you to fight. Well, I guess here would be the incentive. Paige Van Zandt is one of the more uh, marketed UFC stars. Apparently, there is a personal beef between the two of them. Uh, that you guys can look up in Google. I can't even remember the the catty nature behind the whole thing, but it's something about Paige rubbing Rhonda the wrong way. Uh, so what would she have to gain from it? She'd absolutely destroy her, and it's someone who's very well known and who's, you know, marketed. Yeah, I, I guess that's there, but uh, to me, Rhonda sells Rhonda. She doesn't need somebody else to sell her own fight. Well. Let's see. I mean, I... I guess we'll find out December 30th. Yeah, we'll find out. We'll find out because ticket sales ain't going too hot. And again, I can't believe they put it on a Friday night. Well, um, I, th- I think the ticket sales has to do with people have plans for the New Year's. Nobody plans on hanging out in Vegas on New Year's to watch a fight. You know what I mean? it's two nights before New Year's. You know it's what I mean? one night before New Year's. And before New Year's Eve, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, like, uh, to me... Uh, 
that that's notoriously like a chunk of time that people have like planned out. Well, for other it's things. funny you say notorious because <laughs> you think if Conor McGregor fought on Friday night, everybody and their cousin would watch it. Yeah. Yeah, dude, he could fight on a Tuesday morning and I'd watch it. All right, so here's the last piece. Well, actually, I have two last pieces, Gumby, but here's the real last piece. Uh, the new UFC matchmaker tried to put together a fight between Anthony Rumble Johnson and Andre Arlovsky after DC pulled out of the UFC 206 main event, and then a controversy erupts. Anthony Rumble Johnson says that Andre Arlovsky declined the fight with him, but he comes to find out that Andre Arlovsky was never offered the fight with him, or at least... Andre Arlovsky was never offered the fight directly. What had happened was, was that the new UFC matchmaker, Mick Maynard, who comes from um, Legacy, Legacy. Uh, offered it to Arlovsky's team, and Arlovsky's team uh, declined it on their client's behalf, on the Pitbull's behalf, and apparently never told Andre Arlovsky. So, Anthony Rumble Johnson apologizes to Andre Arlovsky and says he felt, feels like he was lied to by the UFC matchmaker, the UFC matchmaker comes back and says, but I did, um, you know, offer the fight to his team. His team declined. So it's a lot of he said, he said, he said. A lot of people just assume that it was the new matchmaker lying to Anthony Rumble Johnson. Your thoughts? It's probably a little bit of Mick Maynard not understanding how the UFC does things, the phrasing he should use with certain fighters and things like that. I mean, he's used to working with a group of fighters that's pretty much in transition constantly. Legacy is constantly people in, people out, because they're moving people to the big show. They they were one of the biggest promotions in the world for lining people up to go to the UFC, and now they've combined with another one, RFA. He's used to working with people for only a fight or two, not for long term. And, and there's certain ways you got to handle certain of these fighters, certain things you got to say to them. And I'm sure it was just a miscommunication. That being said, who wouldn't have liked to see Rumble versus Arlovsky too? Sure. That would have been fun. Yeah, it would have been a lot of fun. And it would have made a lot of sense. Good fight for Arlovsky to get back into the picture. Good way for uh, Rumble to stay busy. All right. Well, it's something we'll keep an eye on, how Mick Maynard handles putting together some of these fights. I hope he, uh, you know, doesn't. I've got, I got faith in the guy. The guy's good at what he does. All right. Well, here's the last bit of news, Gumby. Are you ready for it? Breaking news, breaking news from the streets of Montreal, Quebec, Canada. GSP and the UFC have no news to report this week. <laughs> nothing has come out. I feel like every week this year we get something, and this week there was nothing. This is the first anti-GSP week. Yeah, because last <laughs> week we found out they're back in negotiations, but this week we have nothing new yeah, to report. We can report that they are most likely still in in negotiations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. All right, so we'll move now. Uh, I will move to our interview with Ray Borg. I, of course, want to take this time to mention that we are available wherever a podcast is being streamed. Tune in, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes. I think we're on Google Play. We're on Google Play. Yeah, you can get our ass on Google Play. Hey, I love it. Uh, so wherever a podcast is being streamed, you can email the show, MMA at Gmail. We're accepting both love and hate mail. And you can uh, follow us on Twitter at TopTurtleMMA. Now, Ray Borg, he's one of the most exciting fighters at flyweight. I, I love him as a grappler at 125. He's just so fun to watch on the ground. And we got a chance to talk to him, so we're going to play that for you now. And, of course, this interview is brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Why hemp, you might ask? Hemp is the ultimate natural fiber, antimicrobial, and if you're an MMA fighter, you know staph infection can be goddamn near deadly. So why not wear something that's going to help protect against that? Uh, they also have some pretty badass bags, but we like them for their fight gear. I roll in their fight shorts. They're awesome. They also have hemp 
uh, geese and hemp ghee belts. So head on over to dsgear.com, enter in promo code TOPTURTLE for a discount. Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with UFC fighter Ray Borg. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. I'm here with my co-host Dave Tremonti as we talk to the Taz Mexican devil, Ray Borg, who fights at UFC 207 December 30th against Luis Smolka. Uh, Ray, let's let's talk a little bit about your division before we get into the fight. Um, obviously, things got shaken up in the 125-pound division with the, the Ultimate Fighter 24 uh, allowing a title shot to the winner. Uh, after all is said and done with that show, what, what do you make of the idea to give a title shot to somebody coming from outside the UFC? And, uh, you know, what were your feelings on the way that it went down? Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was, it's always a risky move. I believe they did something similar to that with, uh, Matt Sarah and George St. Pierre, um, I believe a while back, but you know, my first thoughts were that it was ridiculous and, uh, you know, poor guy, you know, hey, you know, welcome to the UFC. Here's your UFC debut, and you get to fight, you know, the pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the world. But, it, I mean, it played out nicely for them because it ended up being Tim Elliott, who, you know, is actually experienced in the UFC and has have had UFC fights, and he's definitely a gamer. So uh, I think it worked out well for, for them in that sense, but I, I really think that if it was anybody else, it might have been a lot differently. Absolutely. And, and you know, I've, I've actually heard this from a couple of fighters at, at all different weight classes who have said that, you know, for a title shot, they would be willing to go into the Ultimate Fighter house. If Dana White had come up to you before that show started and said, hey, look, Ray, we'd like you to go in there and fight all of these guys. And if you come out, you get a shot at Demetrius Johnson. Would you have been willing to do something like that in order to get a shot at the title? Um, Probably not. I'm patient. You know, uh, I'm young. I'm only 23. I'm I'm willing to to take the fights that I need to to build myself up, uh, get comfortable in there, and get the title shot when I'm ready. And, you know, I, I don't think I could stand being in the, the house. Uh, that's one <laughs> thing I was very fortunate is uh, I didn't ever have to go through that process, uh, even when they uh, were supposed to do the 25-pound division. Even the 35-pound division I had thought about uh, trying out, but at the time I was too young. I was under 21, so... Uh, I was like, you know what, that's fine. You know, I really don't want to go through the house anyways. majority of people go through the house for exposure. And you know, I wanted to, I would have rather got the call for, and them want me in the UFC rather than, you know, trying out. So, yeah, you can, you know, be on the show and possibly in the future be in the UFC. You know, I wanted to get that call from them saying, hey, we want you in the UFC. Yeah, obviously. And, and, you know, there's always, you know, a little bit of shenanigans that go inside the house. Looks like it drives some people crazy. There was less this year on the the Ultimate Fighter, which made it a little bit more uh, bearable to watch. Did you watch any of the show? Uh, And if so, like, who stuck out other than obviously Tim Elliott, who is a UFC veteran? Who stuck out as somebody who might be sticking around the 125 division and, and might run into you one time or another? You know, I, didn't, I actually didn't watch a single episode of The Ultimate Fighter. I, I don't know. I feel like I've grown a, grown a little bit out of watching The Ultimate Fighter, especially when it's, you know, my division. I mean, I didn't, even though most people watch it like, oh, this is my division. I need to pay attention to who's who coming up. You know, I'm not that guy. I don't need to, you know, scope everybody's profiles or scope everybody out whenever I can to, to see what's in the future. I mean, if it's in the future, it's in the future. We'll deal with it when it's then. So, but... You know, just from my knowledge of people from, you know, outside of organizations, um, the, the one who stood out to me the most that 
I actually thought I would have fought sooner was uh, Pantoja. Yep. From RFA. Yep. Yeah, I see. So definitely Pantoja sticks out in my eyes, and uh, you know I think he's definitely a, a future bout. Absolutely. Um, and you're certainly not alone in, in people watching the uh, Ultimate Fighter, seeing as uh, the ratings were so far down. Uh, let's let's get off of the Ultimate Fighter kick a little bit. Uh, let's talk about what was supposed to be your last fight. So last time out, you were booked with uh, Ian, Uncle Creepy McCall. Uh, obviously, it fell through for, for injury purposes or uh, illness purposes, as of Uncle Creepy's last like eight fights. Um, is that a booking you'd like to work on again or you'd like to have again, or is that ship kind of sailed on? No, you know, uh, it's, the thing is, is, um, I'm never, I'm never that guy to, to want specific fights. If I want any type of specific fight, it's the fight that's going to move me up in the division. So, you know, that being, that McCall being so established, being so high ranked, you know that that's obviously a fight after after smoke I would like to rebook just from uh, just for the, the the things that I can gain from it the notoriety the the credit and you know obviously you know uh, a potential title shot in the future but I'm not too too concerned on you know on uh, on rebooking it if it happens it happens cool I don't live life in the past I'm not like eagerly eagerly set for that specific match. Like I said, it's always about what the fight's going to do for me is my interest in taking it. And, uh, you know, with McCall, it was, uh, it was very shitty because I've, I've, I've had just horrible luck this year with, with fights. And uh, never in my life have I had to pull out of a fight like that, like ever in my life, even as an amateur, even as a amateur grappler, I've never had to pull out of a fight or a match or anything like that. And it just sucked primarily because it was out of my control. And it was pretty cool that McCall was very understanding of it and how, you know, poor guy ended up having the same thing happen to him uh, when he was supposed to fight Terry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's had some some awful luck as of recent. So, uh, you know, you mentioned in there, too, that, you know, you, you're looking for fights and what they do for you. You said Ian McCall, uh, a lot of notoriety would come to you, uh, bring you closer to the top of the vision title fight. What does a fight with with Luis Smolka bring you? What does the what's the benefit of taking a fight with with Smolka? You know, he's obviously ranked like a spot higher than me, and uh, you know he's gotten he's gotten credit a lot for you know the things he's done. So you know that's more it's more of a coming back fight for me, and uh, you know I, I really feel like with either of us, whether you know I win or he win, it's more of a I think maybe a stalemate in the ranking just because we're so close in ranking. So I mean. You know, it's just actually a fight. I've, I've, I've been interested in this fight in like for almost a whole year now, but our paths just never crossed. Like, you know, I've said it time and time again that I wanted to fight him, and then as soon as I said I wanted to fight him, you know, like literally three days later, he was matched up with someone else, or I was matched up with someone else. So our paths just never crossed, and, uh, you know, as soon as uh, this fight came about, I was excited because it's just a fight. I've wanted it stylistically for a long time. I fight really well against tall fighters. He's a... You know, he's scrambling, and, you know, I, I still find fights very fun, and if I can find someone who's going to scramble with me and, uh, you know, make it a fun fight, then I, I still have fun in there. So, you know, that's the, that's the purpose of this fight. Yeah, and, and he is certainly an awesome scrambler. Uh, he's You know, he's also a Kempo Karate guy. Uh, I feel like you almost revealed just a tiny bit of your game plan there without giving too much away. Is it pretty safe to assume you want to grapple him up and scramble with him and look for openings that way uh, versus striking with the, the Kempo Karate black belt? Um, You know, I don't know how good his Kempo Karate is. I mean, he, 
he's not. I mean, he's got. He's done a couple karate kicks before, but I mean, they've been slower than molasses. So <laughs> I don't know how good. I I really don't feel like his tempo karate is near Scoggins' level, and you know, so I'm not. I'm not worried about that. Scoggins wasn't able to knock me out, or you know, if people if people telling me that you know, I lost obviously in that a unanimous decision, and uh, you know, he he did you know outpoint me. I don't believe he, you know, beat the shit out of me. He just outpointed me. If you go back and watch the fight, I've watched it a, a bunch of times, you know, maybe four out of, like, 20 kicks actually landed. You know, majority of them were blocked, removed. I was never in any danger, you know, things like that. So I'm not worried about his tempo karate at all. You know, if he wants to stand and trade, and he wants to stand and trade, if he wants to grapple, you know, this is a fight where I'm, I, I really don't feel like I need that big of a game plan. I'm pretty comfortable wherever this fight takes place. All right. Well, hey, th- this has been awesome catching up with you, Ray. Uh, I think you just summed up the fight pretty well. Uh, we're looking forward to it. Uh, Ray will fight Luis Smoka at UFC 207 on December 30th. Mark your calendars down. That is not a Saturday. It's a Friday, and it happens to coincide with one Ronda Rousey's return to the fight game. Ray, we thank you so much for the time, and we wish you luck in your fight. Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate you, uh, appreciate you guys having me on. There you have it, Gumby, Ray Borg. Super, super uh, fun guy to talk to. Um, I, I like that he called Smolka's kicks slow as molasses. We'll have to see how that works out uh, in the fight for him. Yeah, for sure. Um, he's a funny guy, though, very well spoken, and we've we've been high, high on him, and it was a uh, shame to see him with the setback against Dustin Ortiz, right? Yeah, Dustin Ortiz on short notice, and he also had the, the rough fight with Scoggins, too. Uh, which is, you know, Scoggins was for a while going to be the 125 guy until he missed weight so badly against McCall and wound up having to go to 35. Or, yeah, so that's for sure now, right? That... Yeah, he's definitely at 35. I think he's already had a fight at 35, too, although if my, or at least booked, if my memory serves me correct. Oh, yeah, he fought Munoz. Pedro Munoz uh, tapped him out to a guillotine at 35. No, he lost. Justin Scoggins? Yeah. Lost to Pedro Munoz. That's what I said. Oh, okay. Yeah, via, yeah. via guillotine to, to Pedro Munoz. Gaia. Okay. Who's a hell of a grappler, too, in his own right. All right. We will move now to uh, UFC on Fox 22, headlined by Paige Van Zandt versus Michelle Waterson. And let's call a spade a spade. This is the best-looking main event in the history <laughs> of the UFC. Let's be real. Uh, Paige Van Zandt, of course, is the rising star. Welcome to the Sage and Paige era uh fresh off her appearance on dancing with the stars i think the ufc likes to think of her as having mainstream appeal uh she beat beck rollins actually that was her uh fresh off her the performance fresh off dancing with the stars flying switch kick was the the flying switch kick to beck rollins face performance of the night bonus back in august Lost to Rose Nama Yunus last December uh, via uh, Rear Naked Choke. And Bloody Beatdown. And Bloody Beatdown. <laughs> but if you remember, that was the fight where we realized that Paige Van Zant uh, cannot be armbarred. Uh, and she beat Alex Chambers before that with an armbar of her own. So Paige Van Zant is 2-1 and one in her last three, looking to uh, ascend up the ranks at strawweight. Uh, she will fight Michelle Waterson, who... Made her UFC debut back in July and beat Angela Magana, who I don't even know if she's still in the UFC anymore, uh, with a rear naked choke. And that was back in July, as I mentioned. Uh, she fought at Adam Waite and Invicta before that. So she's 1-0 in the UFC. Gumby, who you got? You know, you mentioned Watterson uh, fighting at, at Adam Waite. And I think that that's the key to this fight here is that while her karate and her stand-up is technically better than Paige Van Zandt, Paige Van Zandt's wins have all come by bullying her opponent. You know, if you mm. looked at what she did to Alex Chambers 
uh, or what she did before to Kylan Curran. When she she won those fights, it was by hip toss takedowns and just absolutely bullying the person she was fighting. And I think what she did so well is use her body weight. And, and with a fighter that's going to come in lighter and definitely going to come in weaker, I expect Van Zant to use those same hip takedowns, put her up against the cage, and win just a gritty fight because that's actually what Paige Van Zant does best. All right, Paige Van Zant by grittiness says Gumby. Vegas doesn't know what the fuck to make of this. They have Waterson minus 105 and Van Zant minus 115. I'm very surprised by that. I think Waterson should be, you know, a dog at about a plus 120 or something yeah, like that. somewhere around plus 140 would make me even think of betting on Waterson. But at even money, I think you're getting a good value on Van Zandt. All right, we move now to a welterweight offering, the co-main event. And again, two rising prospects. I love when this happens. Would you, you call it the best-looking co-main event? Uh, <laughs> damn, son. You might be forced to say, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's funny, too. Here's another uh, Sage and Page, you know, together linked at the hip, the Barbie and Ken of MMA. Sage in the co-main, Page in the main. Sage Northcutt, uh, he is coming off a win over Enrique Marin. It was a unanimous decision back at UFC 200. Uh, before that, he lost to our boy, Brian Barberena via arm triangle choke back in January, and he beat Cody Fister with a guillotine choke last December of 2015. So he is 2-1 in his last three, though asterisk the Brian Barberena fight when he had strep throat. Uh, Hey, no one was supposed to be able to see that when he had strep throat uh, was uh, at welterweight. And he, of course, is a marketing darling of the UFC. Mickey Gall, on the other hand, he came to us through the looking for the fight show. It was all about him being the opponent for CM Punk. He beat Mike Jackson back in February, which was such a bullshit fight. I hate to say it now, but Mike Jackson hasn't even fought MMA since. So they basically just gave Mickey Gall an opponent they knew he would beat. I'm, I'm actually pretty disappointed with the UFC when it comes to that, that Mike Jackson really stood no shot there. Um, and then CM Punk uh, was beaten by Mickey Gall uh, back in September. We've talked about it a million times. Everyone's talked about it a million times. You know what happened. So Mickey Gall, 3-0 and as a pro, 2-0 and in the UFC. Who do you have here? I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I like Sage Northcutt in this fight. Uh, and then, I, I don't think that's a limb. I, I think it is a little bit of a limb. It, I mean, if you pull up the odds right now, it wouldn't surprise me to hear that, that Sage is an underdog. You would be correct. Sage is plus 120 and Mickey Gall the minus 140 favorite in most books. Yeah, and it, when you think about it, I mean, like, I think that's strictly based on how Mickey Gall has looked in his two UFC fights. And as you just said, he fought nobody and a somebody with no skills. So, like, he really doesn't have a performance where we've had to see what he's got. He's going to have to start standing with a guy who is very good stand-up skills. Uh, you know, maybe his ground game is it leaves something to be desired and maybe if Gall can get him to the ground that that's Gall's yes. way to win. But he's got to stand with him first. And, and to me, that's a dangerous thing. And Sage knows he wants to grapple with him. It would surprise me vastly if Sage's takedown defense didn't look way better this fight. And he wins something on the feet here. All right. Very well said. I, I follow your train of thought, and I like it. I do think Gall should be able to make this a scrappy fight, try to get Sage to the ground. And I think 
Sage will be at a massive disadvantage on the ground against Mickey, but I, I like where you're going with that. Um, we'll rapid fire now through the rest of the card. Obviously, the co-main, the two main events are the most exciting on the card, but uh, Uriah Faber will be doing a swan song against Brad Pickett. Uh, Uriah Faber, in his last fight ever, is a minus 440 favorite, and Brad Pickett, the plus 350 dog. What do you think? Hey, first of all, it's silly against pick against a guy who's a 440 favorite. I, I do think Pickett's got some upside at 300, plus 300, or plus 330, or whatever the hell he was. Um, but the thing is, is it not only is it Faber's last fight, and he needs to turn in a big last performance, it's Faber's last fight, and it's in fucking Sacramento. I mean, like, it, you couldn't come up with a better final fight for him. There's no way he walks away from this without having his hand raised. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think Faber's very hard to finish. I don't think Pickett has that in him, and I think uh, Faber can just grind out a decision win here. I'm not really looking at a finish, I don't think. In no, my mind's I think you, eye, you might wind up seeing a, a performance of the night type deal, though, if these two go swinging. Yeah, that could be fun. That could be fun. All right, kicking off the whole show, you have Alan Joban, the model, facing Mike Perry, a very fun up-and-coming fighter at 170. If you want to know the Vegas odds, Alan Joban, the plus 115 dog, and Mike Perry, the minus 130 favorite. People are very high on Mike Perry. Who do you have? I'm really high on Mike Perry, too. Uh, And the scary thing is Joban is best when he's standing, right? Am I wrong? Yeah. uh, Yeah, yeah. he's best when he's standing. He can't stand with Mike Perry for three rounds. Mike Perry's hands – and his striking are just so powerful. I mean, he beat Lim and Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts by KO. I was just going to say. Yeah, and, and both of those guys are tough bastards. I mean, Lim did a, a five-round main event with Tarek Safadine and took an absolute beating and didn't get knocked out. And yet he still gets knocked out by Mike Perry in a very short period of time. And I mean, you could say the same thing about Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. He had an amazing career where he took some terrible shots. It took one of Mike Perry. So, for me, this is a Mike Perry KO fight. All right. Well, that wraps up the main card. Let's just look at the prelims uh, on Fox Sports 1, Gumby, and the prelims on UFC Fight Pass. What uh, fights are you excited about? Is there a fighter in particular that we should keep an eye on? You have to be super excited about Brian Barberena versus Colby Covington. If you're not, you don't love fights. Um Barbarena consistently proves us wrong over and over and over again. Colby Covington, just an amazing grappler, uh, huge-bodied guy for 170 pounds. And I'll tell you what, Brian Barbarena, always the underdog, but the prospect killer is a plus 300 dog, and <sighs> Colby Covington, the minus 360 favorite. I mean, probably worth some money, but at the same time, Covington is also so good, so it's just such an interesting fight. Um, you also got to be interested in Cole Miller coming back, uh, finally getting rebooked. He's fighting Mizuruto, uh Hirota. Hirota uh, came to us, by the way, of the Road to Japan show. Uh, but he's actually a really good wrestler. It'll be interesting to see if he wants anything to do with Cole Miller's grappling, which is notoriously good. Um, the other thing I will just say is our Irene Aldana is on the fight. Um, she's a, a fighter out of Mexico. She's going to be fighting Leslie Smith at Bantamweight. She came to us from Invicta. She's a really exciting prospect. People are going to want to see uh, her throw down. She's like an Alexa Grasso, just super, super exciting from Mexico, going to bring us uh, south of the border for, for that stuff. Okay. Anything else? Oh, uh, might as well throw the Bear Jews name in there. Paul Craig, uh, friend of the show, Paul Craig, uh, making his UFC debut. Lots of fun. All right, and that's at light heavyweight. He'll be fighting Luis Henrique Da Silva. So that wraps up. 
uh, our breakdown for UFC on Fox 22. We cannot thank you guys enough for listening and tuning in, subscribing, downloading, giving us a review. It means the world to us. Keep it coming. And, uh, of course, we'll be back next week with a badass show. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. Thanks for listening.